connecting, growing, and gaining opportunities together. Welcome to the Travel Hub Podcast. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Travel Hub Podcast. I'm Michelle Bouchour, your host for today's show. In this episode, we are again covering the digital divide that we see in Indian country. In 2018, the Government Accountability Office reported that 35% of people living on tribal lands lacked access to broadband, and this is compared to 8% for Americans overall. The nonprofit group MuralNet, who we are talking to today, is working hard to bridge that gap by helping tribes apply for grants, spectrum license, and so much more. Now, we've had MuralNet on before on the podcast, about eight months ago, actually. At that time, we were talking to them about how to actively apply for the 2.5 gigahertz rural tribal window that opened in February of 2020. That window gave tribes the chance to apply for and receive spectrum license at no cost. Those licenses, which can be used for high-speed wireless broadband, are usually auctioned off to the highest bidder. Since the window to apply for this grant has closed, the FCC granted license to 154 tribes. There were more than 400 that applied nationally. The licenses give these tribes exclusive use of the spectrum that they can use to connect their communities in any way that they see fit for their tribe. Up next, you'll hear my conversation with Mariel Triggs and Crystal Hadaway. Both of these women work with MuralNet and help tribes build their own networks with the hopes to bring the number of homes with access to broadband on tribal reservations up to national levels. They are well-versed in this grant program and have helped many tribes connect using broadband. So again, thank you both so much for taking the time to talk with me today. I know everyone's very busy. Um, and we've had a lot of things happening this week in regards to what we're going to talk about. But before we get started into our conversation, Crystal and Mariel, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, and maybe how you began your work with MuralNet? Sure. My name is Marielle Triggs. I, uh, I grew up in the Bay Area. Um, I'm first generation. Um, my mom, Pilar, came from the Philippines and my dad from Chile. And uh, under their, their uh, stringent urging, I became an engineer, uh, but I always had a love for education. MuralNet was being started by some of my friends in 2017. And at the time, I had actually gone back to school to learn how kids learn, STEM fields specifically, uh, after spending a few years in education and teaching math and science. And it's Silicon Valley. So the way we solve things is we develop apps. (laughs) Some of the apps that we were developing were actually quite successful. And we were getting it so that a student, sixth grader, seventh grader, eighth grader, even ninth graders, they could watch a you know, 45 minutes worth of videos, do a few short exercises, kind of targeting identity and mindsets and such. And by the end of the year, they were getting better grades. They were enjoying the class more. They were seeing themselves as a scientist or a mathematician or an engineer. And it was just so amazing that this type of intervention could be delivered remotely through the internet. If you could stream video, then you would have access to these quick silver bullets, if you will. And I was feeling pretty good about myself until I was talking with some of my friends working at MuralNet. They're like, you know, you're just going to open up the digital divide more and make it a digital chasm. Like, what do you what do you mean? And they explained to me that in the U.S. on rural lands, especially tribal rural lands, you're looking at a situation where two thirds of people don't have access to the Internet. You're looking at situations where 
despite electrical and backhaul, the folks were still very much unconnected. And by giving everyone else a boost, you're leaving these people behind even further. So I started volunteering with them. And on our pilot build, we were working with Councilwoman Ophelia Wadahamaji Corliss of the Havasupai tribe. They have been at the bottom of the Grand Canyon since time immemorial. You're talking about a place that is considered the most remote community in the lower 48 states. Eight mile hike down, helicopter ride. It's uh, pretty hard to reach. And at MuralNet, you know, we're a bunch of like techie dorks, frankly. (laughs) (laughs) We got some buy sells gear, which was a fairly new company that made carrier grade equipment at a very good value price point. And we were helping to develop open source software. So imagine software that you can download from the internet for free to run a network. And we were able to put those two things together. I took a sick day from work, jumped on a plane after school, flew to Las Vegas, drove what probably should have been a four-hour drive, but I did a little bit faster. I rented a Dodge Challenger, drove to the edge of the Grand Canyon. And in half a day, we put up the equipment. We got the network running. And pretty soon after that, once we got permission to broadcast, they were getting broadband speeds at the bottom. Wow. $15,000 of equipment, actually less, about 11000 because our local partner, Niles Radio Communications, they uh, never gave us the bill for their services with materials they brought. Again, half a day of labor. And it's now been three years. That type of pilot kit in this COVID year turned into an emergency kit. And we've been working with tribes ever since to connect and build their own networks. Uh, The special thing about that network was that it was on 2.5 gigahertz, uh, which is a very special spectrum when it comes to when it comes to broadcasting and rural lands. You can get through trees and I'll let I'll leave that to uh, Crystal to talk about those trees. (laughs) It's protected license spectrum. And we are going through a process right now where tons and tons and tons of tribes, uh, over 150 right now, have new licenses to the 2.5 gigahertz frequencies over their own lands. So what I'm expecting is literally hundreds of tribal networks to be built in the next few years. Yes, for sure. That's a great story. Wow. And you're right. I loved how when you said it turned into an emergency network during COVID, because if that wasn't there when all this was going on, how horrible would that have been? We've been averaging about NeuralNet assisted uh, one network on 2.5 a month or 3.5, which we can talk about if you wish, throughout this COVID year. Either the initial pilot network or emergency network, and then an expansion. And again, they went up fast. It was a matter of getting access to Spectrum through special temporary authority applications to the FCC. And the FCC was really accommodating and really trying to get people connected during these hard times. Mm -hmm. Yeah, which is great to see. Crystal, why don't we jump over to you real quick and give us uh, just a little bit of background on yourself and how you came in touch with MuralNet. All right. So I'm Crystal Hottaway. I am a Macaw tribal member and the Macaw tribe is located in the Pacific Northwest. We're as far Northwest as you can go on the lower 48 states. If you end up in my neck of the woods, it's because you very much intended to go to Mia Bay. Our location requires us to have an incredible sense of for us, by us. We rely on ourselves uh, because we know that due to our location, we're usually the last one that's going to get any kind of assistance. 
we know where we stand. And as a result, we've become incredibly self-reliant. And with that said, I'm the grants writer for my tribe. I've been the grants writer for, gosh, about 12 years total now. I did take a year sabbatical. And when I came back from my second tour of duty, uh, one of the issues that came up was that we have internet problems. And at that time, we were clocking our internet as slow as 36 kilobytes per second. To give you an idea, dial-up is considered to be 56 kilobytes per second. So our internet was slower than dial-up painful. And we were running across challenges with our incumbent provider. They weren't really willing to do any infrastructure investments. Because of our location, it it costs a lot to bring materials to our area. We're out of the way, so it would cost people a lot of money to come out and work here. Uh, The other thing is, is our population. It just didn't pencil out. It didn't make business sense to them which I can understand. But at the same time, in our society, we're coming across a reliance and not so much reliance. It's an absolute necessity now to have adequate internet connection. And what drove the project really was the school. Our school, we're the exception to the rule when it comes to reservation-based schooling. Our school is a state school, but it is 95% Native American. And we had, and we still do, we a very high graduation rate and a lot of awards that are due to sustained high test scores. It's not that we got really good test scores one year and they're going to give us an award. It's every year we have been improving on those test scores and our kids, you know, we had like a, it was a 93% graduation rate with a couple years in a row where there was a hundred percent of post-secondary education plans. The entire graduating class was going to college or going to enter the service. And so, you know, it's a big deal. We center our lives around our children and our children are our future. And so what happened was the Washington State Office of Student uh, OSPI. <laughs> I always I always mess up the um, offices, uh, public instruction. I don't know, something like that. But anyways, they, they came out with this new rule that all of the state mandated tests would have to be taken by broadband link. And this is to ensure that each student would have an individualized student learning plan. It's great and wonderful if you have that broadband connection. So what we were faced with doing is having to bus our entire school to go 20 miles, which is a 40-minute drive on the bus, to the nearest school that has a broadband link. Just the logistics alone is a nightmare to me. I start to get like heart palpitations and I think about it because loading up an entire school onto a bus to go take tests. I mean, just the logistics to it, it's incredible. So my tribal council said, that's unacceptable. That is not what we're going to do. Because, you know, I mean, also think about it. If you have test anxiety and you get car sick, you load up onto a bus and you have to drive this bus on hairpin curves to a school that smells weird that you've never seen before. Teachers you don't know. It's an unfamiliar surroundings. There was just so much stake that tribal council said, you know what, we're going to form a tech team and we're going to task them with finding a viable solution for this. I was designated as the chair for this team and we had people from our accounting department, people in our planning department. We had 
people who our IT department, we teamed up with our school district and we utilized their expertise as well. And what we were able to do is construct the middle mile infrastructure with that's five, eight gigahertz. And we were able to construct a wireless network for our tribal government and our school within four months. And with that project, the stars, they completely aligned in every step. It was amazing. I've never seen something fall together so quickly until this year. (laughs) And so, so that was the first part of our success. And the overarching goal has always been to construct a network that is provided to our tribal members on the reservation for Macaw by Macaw. One of my former chairmen's stated quite clearly, like, you know, we're not trying to get rich off the backs of our own people. We're just trying to provide them with a service, with an essential service. And that was back in 2013. And so between 2013 and 2019, we had a lot of traction within our own project here at Macaw. We have been able to negotiate with industry. And so now our incumbent, they received uh, CAF round two funds. So they upgraded their infrastructure. We've been able to bring an additional cellular provider out. We have another one that's on their way as a result of the first net movement. So we've been able to do all of that. And I met Marielle when we were in New Mexico, Muscalero, New Mexico. And that's when I I gave a presentation about our project and what we had done. And what, what I'm really trying to encourage people to understand and take confidence in is Uh, I didn't go to school for this. It's all been baptism by fire, but I've been able to do it. I've been able to get a a grip on it. And so I I think there's a a lot of people who are working on similar projects and feel maybe somewhat intimidated because they don't have that educational background. But I don't know that it's completely necessary. Don't get me wrong. Go get your education, but don't let that hold you back either. So when I met Marielle, we discussed different ideas and we met again in Albuquerque this time. And that's when things really started to come together because we had talked about developing an app that tribes would be able to use to apply for grants. My expertise and and what I've been working on, I've created a bit of a niche and it's important to me to share this information of how I've done it, what I've done, what I would do differently and what you definitely should do to begin with. So that's when I was brought on as contractor for MuralNet and working with, um, (laughs) help me with the tribe's name again. I'm blanking on it, Marielle. I actually think you worked with the Havasupai tribe specifically. And so that was at the beginning of 2020. So then COVID hit and my tribal chairman called me and he said, we're going to be going into lockdown and the kids are going to need to be able to still attend school. Our tribal employees still need to work somehow. We need to be able to safely do medical appointments through the internet. So we need you to figure out how to open up that network. And that combined with the tribal priority window for the 2.5 gigahertz spectrum, it all fell into place. It was timely. We were able to actually obtain a STA and we had funding from last year that we were going to utilize for fiber engineering. And we refocused that pot of money to do community network engineering. 
So with that, what we did was we've created a wireless network and it's operating on the 2.5 over the three channels. And the spectrum is, I really feel like it's meant for areas like I live in. I live in a rainforest. So there's six foot in diameter, I would say 70 feet tall cedars and hemlocks that are very common in our area. Being able to penetrate a signal through that is daunting. Um, That's actually what has held us back from further development earlier. And so with this spectrum, it's incredible. We've deployed a pilot test network. Right now we have 13 of our tribal homes on this test network. And it's performing as you would imagine it would. It's doing very well, especially on the clear days. Sometimes we get packet loss during a particularly bad rain. And what's exciting is that it's reaching these areas that both our wireline provider as well as all of the wireless providers in industry have not been able to provide previously. So they're able to reach places that, you know, say CenturyLink or Verizon, AT&T and T-Mobile are unable to reach. And if they are able to reach those particular areas, it's very, very spotty. So we're able to provide 25-3 across the board. It's pretty incredible and it's exciting. That is an absolutely amazing story and path. And I have so many questions. I feel like I need to ask you. (laughs) I love every single piece of that. What a great story. It's interesting to hear kind of your journey with your tribe and how it merged in with MuralNet. And it just had me thinking about all these tribes who maybe now have the spectrum, they receive the grant, but they don't necessarily have somebody like you to be a catalyst for them, to be you know, a champion for them, to really start to create the infrastructure and to make that happen like you did for your tribe. Reading about the window that was open and and these 150 tribes that have been given their licenses, and if they don't have a crystal at their tribe, you know, what do they do? That's a huge undertaking for that tribe, you know? What I would do is I would look at their team and look at their strengths and start assigning according to their strengths. So if you have an IT person who is really good with equipment, okay, we need to put them on equipment. What kind of equipment is the organization going to need? Do you have an engineer on staff? Okay, so I I would refer to the engineer. I would do it like I've been doing my funding quilts, actually, is I would take each of these tasks or objectives or responsibilities within the project itself and break it down to different people like that. But still, you still need someone that can coordinate all of that as well. So that's a tough question. Well, education is a huge piece of it. I think actually to close the loop a little bit, that's kind of what MuralNet's about right now. I mean, we started off with those kits that we talked about earlier. Then we were a big proponent and advocate for the rural tribal window. We, We helped over 150 tribes apply through writing their narratives or doing their maps. And now it's about the idea of sustainability and control as so many of these networks roll out. And that education piece, I think about what we're doing with you, Crystal, and your tribe. She mentioned that, you know, she's expanding her network and she tries out all this new equipment. She's actually sharing all those results. So you've tried out the first 2.5 base station you put up was actually experimental and wasn't released to the masses yet. It was like a, I think it was a Bicells Nova 246. And now you also have an Airspan, Air Harmony 4400, and you're trying it out. I'm sending you a CPE sh- that should arrive today. So these are the home units and Crystal's team will try them out in the homes 
in this crazy rainforest, which is pretty extreme when it comes to what we would hope 2.5 networks could operate in. So all this testing that the Macaw Tribe are willing to do, it's going to be shared with everyone. So when it comes to that person who gets, okay, you got equipment, we are helping to make the comparisons in the education such that they can actually compare equipment and hear it from other Native tribes. I'm really capitalizing on that expertise. Crystal, you're hard to duplicate. I've tried. I've tried to turn you into an app a couple of times. <laughs> and it's definitely led a lot to like breaking down the mysteries of so many things and getting that knowledge documented and out there in a way that's digestible with people that you trust. Usually when it comes to learning about this equipment, people are talking to the salesman. Exactly. And no offense to salesmen. I love salesmen. We get along. But there's a bias. And to have that test site, to have that field testing, so many different types of things, so many different types of equipment, so many different types of technology, they've tried out two different cores already, two different types of software. Uh, it's really a phenomenal gift that the Macaw tribe is giving to the rest of the sovereign nations within the U.S. who has this spectrum. It's pretty amazing. Well, and, you know, we wouldn't have been able to do it without MuralNet. I mean, this partnership has been amazing from the get because we do understand we're blazing a trail for other tribes. And by no means do you need to follow it to the T. By all means, make sure you're incorporating elements that fit your project and your land and make cultural sense to you. But at the same time, it's a template that you can use and customize. But, you know, MuralNet has been so incredibly understanding the legal paperwork, just the legal paperwork from FCC. You don't necessarily need an attorney for legal representation, but you do need one for legal interpretation. So, you know, MuralNet has been able to provide resources like that and as well as just general support of what she just did. I mean, Marielle totally, you know, she gassed me up just there and, and I'm trying to, <laughs> like, I don't know how to take compliments. <laughs> well, that's because I need you to drive around with uh, holding a CPE out a window and like checking uh, throughput rates. <laughs> and the vendors want this information. It's a partnership and finding those good partnerships is huge. Yes. And when you have tribes who are, you know, building this infrastructure from the ground up, like you said before, you need to have partners in all areas within your community to make that happen. Yeah. And I'm a big believer of trust, but verify. Uh, And what I mean by that is, you know, a little redundancy in your information and your sources uh, can be a very healthy thing. Not a lot, because then it gets really confusing. I often think that you should be getting at least your information from two or three sources. Uh, two that are interpretive and then one from the primary source. Reading statutes from the FCC might not be that the great, but uh, having that at least to be able to refer to from so many trusts is amazing. Yeah. Now, for the tribes who received the spectrum, is there a time limit on this for them to put in place certain infrastructure or you know plans for that? Are there time frames set up for that? Yes. And there's two main ones you have to think of. There's a two-year build-out standard that we're using the spectrum in each channel to cover at least half of the population that's living within the boundaries of that license. A couple things to know, that's not half of the area. And (laughs) I would say that pretty much every uh, Alaska Village winner was very happy about that. Um, (laughs) 
it's half the population and it's that they have to have coverage, not service. So basically, if you think about this as your cell phone, which a lot of folks are building private LTE networks, literally like your cell phone, they would just have to have some bars. They don't have to be actually passing traffic or getting service. You want them to, of course, especially with our partners. What I'm finding is it's not about maximizing return on investment, a dollar sign at the end of each month through a subscriber model. It's more about communally, like what Crystal said earlier, is like, how do I connect my community, even if it's, you know, a loss, just to be able to subsidize or figure out some way to make it happen. So two years to make that 50% standard. You can do it with mobile. You can do fixed wireless. And if you want to get into the weeds, I'm always out there. If you miss that two year, then you have another year to make it. And then after five years, you have to have 80% coverage. Again, that sounds daunting. Euronet will work with pretty much any sovereign nation and indigenous community as long as we have the resources to. But we do focus on communities of 1,200 or less. We find these communities are often overlooked. And for that size of community, what we find is by putting up one emergency or pilot network, we've already met the five-year standard. The reason why are these communities, they're usually centered around some central place. So you'll have 90, 95% of people living within a couple square miles. So the build-out standard is actually not too difficult. And if you want to start getting an idea of what goes into that, the FCC is actually putting on a workshop next month to look at the engineering basics behind these kind of LTE systems and other systems. So those are your build-out standards. We have some communities, some partner communities that just want to get the build-out standard out of the way. I just priced out for one community what that would take, and it was $50,000, including $10,000 that was kind of in there, just, you know, just in reimbursables and the acts of God. And they wanted to do it in year 2020. So this year, I've been really adding a little bit of extra to any sort of timeline budget just to allow for whatever the universe has in mind. We're not talking a lot of money necessarily, nor a lot of stress when it comes to meeting bailed out standards. It doesn't even have to be connected to the internet. It just has to have coverage. My worry is that's not the point, right? Right. This craziness with the CARES Act money that was about to expire. Luckily, Congress has finally passed a stimulus bill that actually extends out the CARES Act money for another year. But there's a lot of folks that were worried about losing that opportunity to use to build infrastructure. And folks were willing to roll the dice and such when it comes to what they thought their community would need tech-wise with hardware and software, just so that they can get it now with that federal CARES dollars and not miss out on that opportunity. And I would actually say that's the wrong way to go about it by far. Identifying what your community needs and forming that broadband vision, if you will, of figuring out what your whole community, not just the schools, not just tribal government, economic development, telehealth. I mean, we, we say these things and we do these things, but when you get into the nitty gritty, when you actually go to the clinic, I remember last time I was in Mia Bay, I talked with the, was it the director at the clinic? Yep. And uh, she expressed how, you know, we can say telehealth, but what you really needed was to be able to stream with a remote psychologist who could prescribe medication. Because if they can't get a person in and they end up having to hire a new person for whatever reason, the patients start at zero again. They have to rebuild a whole relationship before that psychiatrist can be effective. And the need to stream a video conference or a video appointment has different technical, legal regulations 
it has different needs than say if uh, what you're trying to do is upload x-rays and, and other uh, types of records. So taking the time to get into the details of what each major department, what each major stakeholder group within your community would need, then you can go about planning a system that's going to meet your needs or finding even the right partners or consultants or whatever that will understand your needs. I can't tell you how many of the vendors that are trying to sell stuff right now, a lot of these network cores, that the software, it has a built-in billing system such that each subscriber can pay automatically online or, or whatever. And that's all well and good if your tribe is going to use some sort of traditional internet service provider model where each subscriber pays a monthly fee. But that doesn't make sense when you're serving communities that you're not going to charge or that don't have a bank account or a credit card and wouldn't even be able to make use of it. So you wouldn't necessarily know that was not a needed feature or the vendors even don't know. It's kind of just this natural assumption when it comes to how networks are maintained. But taking the time to do that self-study, to figure out what you need, to get everyone on the same page, to form a broadband task force or a tech task force, that need finding is a huge and it's a great first step. Don't worry about build-out standards. Actually, this week, guess what? There's an app that's going to come out <laughs> that'll help you get an automatic free plan of what it would take to cover 80% of your population. You know, really rough, high level network plan so that if you needed to, you could take that to pretty much any salesperson in telecommunications and they can put together a bomb for you. They can, you know, submit a quote or whatever it is that you need. Don't worry about that to your deadline. Start now and start by looking at your own community and what you folks would want out of connection to the internet. Is there anybody else doing what you're doing now, a kind of like a pilot program or almost creating a blueprint for other tribes? Or is it just you guys? Oh, no, no. There's a rich ecosystem out there. And it's not just on 2.5 gigahertz. It's also folks who are using CBRS 3.5 or unlicensed. We build or we've helped build all sorts of networks. In fact, we have some finishing up today, connecting. I think we're going to finish up 120 combs connected through unlicensed today and on one site. Later this week, there's going to be 300 homes connected using 2.5. And we have a couple that are a mixture of 2.5 and 3.5 because of the amount of spectrum that was available. But no, it's been amazing. And it's actually been pretty cool to see how many different types of partners are stepping up to make this happen. The Pueblos in New Mexico, I would say they're about eight months or nine months ahead of everybody. Wow. So there are so many Pueblos that are going to be going online. We've worked with several of them already. We've built at least three emergency networks and then one expansion within the Pueblos. We've also built a couple on Navajo land with some of the tribal colleges there. And so has I-9 Technologies, so has Sacred Wind, so has TrueNet. I mean, it's pretty cool to see all these different models come out about how you can use the spectrum. And here's the key thing. Just like you said, not everyone's like the macaw. Let's say like uh, as you form this broadband plan, one of the best things you can do is look at tribes like you. Size of your tribe, the type of terrain, what state you're in. Because, oh, again, Chris is the master of getting funding. <laughs> that would be crystal. There's going to be things you can do in Washington state that you can't do anywhere. Leveraging 
the broadband team in Washington state and the different types of uh, monies the state uh, has to offer, that's very specific. We're seeing the same thing in California, where you have to kind of know what the rules are in the state to really leverage it and break out your broadband plans and such. And also your regional partners, like who are you going to build with? Who's actually going to be the boots on the ground constructing stuff? One of my favorite models, uh, Kimposiko Kwaptua, uh, the CTO of um, Santa Fe Indian School, was telling me the pueblos were a challenge because uh, those walls that are hundreds of years old, very hard to penetrate. <laughs> 2.5 is pretty amazing. It can go through 70 feet of solid Pacific Northwest rainforest, but it wasn't going to get through the Adobe. <laughs> Those were pretty impenetrable. And they had went to an outdoor CPE and you know we're doing different tests of what to do. But there's a couple of the Pueblos, they actually trained up their own people, you know, in a week-long thing to learn how to deploy and connect a home and do the installation from the J-mount to the CPE to aiming it to, you know, drilling the hole through and setting up the inside equipment. And they're now in the process, you know, we're talking hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of homes. I think one community is uh, almost done connecting 600 homes and they did it themselves. So when it comes to what model works and what's out there, there's this first wave going on of those folks who are ahead, like the Pueblos, you know, eight to nine months ahead. And also the people who just basically slammed on the accelerator and put up a network super fast. And I've seen that um, in a lot of places as well. And they're going to lay down the groundwork for what's going to happen in 2021 where there's going to be a much bigger bump in tribal networks being built because of stuff like the stimulus money. CARES money extended. There's going to be one billion for tribal broadband. Crystal, I hope you can analyze that. And the devil's in the details as always about <laughs> how that can be utilized to build networks that tribes have control over. The tech innovations are going to be huge. 5G rollouts also will be heavily subsidized by the FCC, but what kind of equipment you choose, I would not recommend putting up an equipment that was not capable of 5G. So all the equipment that we've been putting up, it's basically a software upgrade to be able to go from 4G to 5G and the faster speeds that come along with it. So take a look out, make friends, read Tribal Hub magazine, like just do all the things you can do in order to see what's going on out there. Uh, And getting that education is huge. Always get three quotes. There are some bad actors out there. There are some really good hearted people who know one solution and it might not be the solution for that you need but they'll give it to you. So always try to get, again, whenever you're getting your quotes, three quotes and talk to your team to see what it is that you would want from your broadband network. That's great information. Crystal, did you have anything to add? Well, in terms of the new stimulus package, I've been harping on this for a while. Up until last year in May, there was not a federal funding source dedicated to tribal broadband development. The only one that came out that was specifically for tribal broadband development was through BIA. So it was a Department of Interior, BIA, and it was feasibility studies grants. And feasibility studies are the place to start. But let it be known, um, you know, you have USDA, you have Department of Commerce, there's all of these different entities within the federal government that had broadband dollars, but did not allocate any specifically to tribes. So tribes in that um, have a SUPI application that we went through in this last spring. Tribes are going up against ports, municipalities, chambers of commerce, industry themselves. They're going up against these other 
entities that have a much bigger advantage than tribes do, where these people have been specialized and they've been specially trained in this. Whereas tribes, I wear one of five different hats at any given moment because I need to be able to be flexible and versatile. And that's just how tribes are structured, right? So as a grants writer, that's been a really frustrating aspect to funding broadband and looking at how I can find different pots of money and apply for it for a specific objective, say building a tower or doing a radio study. So with this new package that came out, there are some things that I'm really, really excited about. The first is that billion dollars, and that's to expand broadband. Since there's also education that's incorporated into this funding package, there's going to be a really heavy concentration on remote learning. The really, really exciting thing to me, though, is that there's going to be a creation of Office of Minority Broadband Initiatives, and that's going to be within NTIA. That's the National Telecommunications and Information Administration. You know, you have folks like MuralNet who do provide really excellent technical assistance, but you don't get it from the funders themselves of what they're looking for. Just to give you an idea, I've been going back and forth with a particular funder about my project and what they are having issues with is the placement of equipment in homes. And they're not understanding that tribes are different than a regular township. And so understanding that there's a lot lost in translation between us two. And once we both realized, oh, you mean this, not that. Oh, okay. That's the issue. Okay, cool. We work through it somehow. Is there a certain language that we can include in our service applications to the people that we're going to serve so that it covers us? And it took me six months to get to that point with this particular funding agency. So having this Office of Minority Broadband Initiatives is going to be, I hope, I, I, I have visions for this, it's going to be extremely helpful in letting tribes know what language the funders are looking at and then also telling the funders, this is what it means for tribes. I think that's going to help with communication between both partners. So I'm really excited about that. That is so exciting. Can you imagine just the different things that are going to be funded or potentially have, you know, put, have that potential in this next year with having that office there? That's amazing. That's so cool. The mapping alone, <laughs> the mapping alone is going to be incredible. And MuralNet has done an excellent job on the mapping. <laughs> we've actually, we've, we've, NTIA has helped. <laughs> A lot throughout this last year. We have a lot of shared goals and they're a pretty fantastic partner. It's an exciting time for tribes when it comes to this. For everybody, because I just feel like our traditional model of funding networks and connecting people. I mean, this is a utility, but we still treat it like it's a business. And we're still looking for a return on investment on a subscriber model. You're going to have 200 plus experiments going on within tribal communities that will flip that script. We're going to have a lot of innovation when it comes to how you run a sustainable network simply by empowering these tribal communities who are just frankly more community minded and letting them loose. And, you know, when I think about this network that I'm working on and building with my team, I can't help but think about the first paved road to Niabe and what that meant to my community. You know, all of a sudden now we're able to ship material out and we're able to build homes and build schools 
build clinics and businesses and gas stations and stores and museums. And I wonder, I really cannot help but wonder if those people who built that road, who advocated for that road to be paved, if they had any idea how many people on a daily basis would be utilizing that road to access medical care, to access their employment or drive to go see their daughter play her first high school basketball game. I don't know that we're truly understanding or capturing how big and long of an impact that we're building here truly is. Because that's what this is. It's a 21st century road. And it's what we're utilizing to access anything beyond our home, especially during a global pandemic. When I think about it like that, I like I give myself the chills. It's uh, <laughs> It's really crazy. Yeah, you're 100% right. I was thinking the same thing. It is chilling, <laughs> especially when you're connected to your own tribe and you see the strides being made. It's a different type of feeling, that's for sure. Is there anything else you guys wanted to um, add in here before we close off? Just a lot of gratitude for so many different groups coming together in this crazy year in order to make things happen. I'm excited for what the next year has to offer. I've been really humbled and appreciative. You know, I, I need to echo Marielle's thoughts on that because I keep thinking of it locally in, in terms of my own project. But I mean, this is happening nationwide and oh, coming together, but staying apart at the same time. It truly is incredible. And I'm yeah, I'm humbled and very, very thankful. Yeah, me too. It is exciting. You know, I don't really think about it much, but then when I talk to it and hear you two talk about it and then like really see the impact and how even us here at Travel Hub can be a part in educating tribes and bringing people together. It's exciting. It's almost like a spark that I needed to end this year, to be honest. <laughs> I get it. Well, Muriel and Crystal, thank you so much for taking the time to share with us today. What you two are doing is absolutely amazing. And I'm very glad we could share that with our listeners. So thank you so much. No, thank you. Yeah, thank you for having us. You can learn more about MuralNet at their website, muralnet.org. If you have a topic for our show or would have a story to share, please contact me at michelleb at tribalhub.com. Also, don't forget to subscribe and follow our show wherever you listen to podcasts to never miss an episode. Connect with us here at Tribal Hub by searching us up on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, or by visiting our webpage at tribalhub.com. Thanks for listening, guys. I'll talk to you soon.